from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Getting a little exercise without breaking a sweat. I'm Charles Denny. The ancient practice of Tai Chi and the many benefits of slowing down for exercise. That story from Brownsville, Tennessee, coming up on Ag Day. A new drought monitor shows big improvements for California as USDA releases new numbers that shocked the market. Um, the fact that the stocks number came in uh, tight all around, uh, we're seeing a reaction to that right away. Reaction to the numbers and the big rally that followed right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. We're getting a better look at how harvest really went thanks to the latest supply demand report from USDA. And it looks like the corn and soybean crops were smaller than many anticipated. And stocks are also lower, sending both corn and soybeans up double digits after the report was released. Now diving into the numbers, while USDA did raise corn yield a bushel per acre, it cut harvested acres by 1.6 million, down 7% from 2021. As for soybeans, it cut yields by more than half a bushel and now estimates that harvest at 86.3 million acres. Now for corn, that lowered corn production by 200 million bushels and soybeans by 69 million. However, after also cutting exports, USDA only lowered ending stocks 15 million bushels on corn and 10 million on beans. So where did all that harvested corn go? Ben Brown says the biggest dip came in the drought impacted areas. My guess is, is that for some of those acres, especially dryland acres that just looked really poor, um, they got chopped for silage to provide forage um, for those cattle. And so my, my guess is that there wasn't any error in terms of acreage calculation, but maybe an overestimate in terms of, or an underestimate in terms of how many acres uh, we're going to be classified as failed acres. And again, it's not like they went away. It's that they probably got turned into silage, which by definition is a failed acre. The bigger surprise coming in quarterly stocks, which were below trade estimates. Corn at 10.8 billion bushels, also down 7% from a year ago and the lowest in nine years. Soybeans at just over 3 billion bushels, down 4% from December of 2021 and sitting at a two-year low. Wheat stocks sitting at 15-year lows at 1.28 billion bushels, down 7% from a year ago. Yeah, the stocks number is generally going to be the one out of, out of uh, all of the numbers that are released that offers the most potential for surprises. So um, the fact that the stocks number came in uh, tight all around, uh, we're seeing a reaction to that right away. And more surprises awaited traders in the report on winter wheat plantings, with USDA reporting just under 37 million acres planted, that's up nearly 3.7 million more or up 11% from 2022. Now 2.2 million of that increase went to hard red winter wheat. Well, winter wheat was uh, a little bit of a, a friendly surprise as well. We did see the USDA raise the beginning stocks, uh, but that was more than offset by an increase in demand. Uh, feed residual demand was increased by 30 million bushels and so uh, that did lead to a decrease in the domestic ending stock scenario. And there is some good news to report finally out of California when it comes to drought. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with the very latest. And let's walk you through kind of the drought monitor here, kind of a major drought update here for California. And this is in the positive side here. 
we go back on the left hand corner of your screen, you'll notice at the end of December we were dealing with an extreme and even an exceptional drought across parts of the state. And as we have gone throughout the first half of this month, all thanks to that atmospheric river applying a lot of moisture to this area, we've really seen kind of those drought conditions greatly improve. And in fact, uh, we've kind of dropped again those two red highest categories from the state. We're still going to continue well above average uh, precipitation for the West Coast uh, for the remainder of this week going forward and into at least the first half of next week. And let's take a look at the rainfall here on the West Coast here. We could be looking at upwards of around 10 or more inches of rain for parts of Northwest Washington and of course uh, California, the Western Coast there looking at another three to six inches of water. Meanwhile, the Sierra Mountains, they're going to be measuring snowfall once again in feet as another storm will cripple parts of this region with three to six inches of snow. And a spectacular sunset from Sheldon Kurt in Dane, Wisconsin. That's just outside of Madison. Sheldon says this was the view from the barn door and what a view it is. I'll more drag day forecast in just a few. Win the Furrow programming on Ag Day is sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Get season-long systemic disease protection from the inside out, from root to tassel and stalk to leaf. Go long with Zyway brand fungicides. As farmers prepare for spring, managing hybrids based on where they fall in the field is a key to maximizing yield and ultimately a way to win the furrow in 2023. Agronomist Missy Bauer explains. So we have an example here. This is actually the same hybrid. This is planted within the field in two different environments. So as I come up over my high ground, which for where we're at in this part of southern Michigan, that means my little sandier soils, less organic matter, uh, lower CECs. So in this particular hybrid, I'm running that. As I come up over those hills in high ground, I'm planting this at 33,000 population. But as I dip down into my low ground, so where I've got more organic matter, better water holding capacity, I want to try to push this hybrid a little bit. So now I've pushed my population up to 36,000 here. And you can see these, the same hybrid responds very differently just based on its environment. So one, you can see a huge difference in the overall plant size here, a much taller plant where I've got those overall better soil conditions down in that low ground compared to up here on the high ground. But even in its uh, ear placement, obviously a, a big difference there. You see these are up above my head compared to here. But when I look at these individual ears, and they're also what's, what's laid out here in this example, but when I'm on that high ground where I just can't quite support as much plant population with this particular hybrid, you can see that it's starting to want to kind of tip back a little bit here. And at that 33,000, if you look at these examples that, that I have here on the floor, you can see some of these got that little bit of tip back. Now this is okay. I don't think it's too much. I think the population I had this at is, is planted about right. But if I took that 33,000 and I went down here to this low ground and that's all I planted there, I would be giving up yield because when you take a look at the ears here now, I've added that extra 3,000 plants out there, extra 3,000 ears. I actually have less tip back than what I did 
up here at the 33,000. So I really want to make sure I'm managing that as part of that. So again, you can see a little bit of tip back here, but there, on average we have less here than what we did in the 33,000, even though we pushed this harder. Really consider what are you doing with your hybrid management? We really should be managing on a field by field, hybrid by hybrid basis, but within that field, variable rate really offers a lot of opportunity for us. All right, thanks Missy. Now, if you'd like to learn more about planter setup, be sure to check out her online planter clinic. It's available at bmcropconsulting.com. Markets rallied hard following that Thursday report from USDA. We'll take a look at what to watch as we end the week. That's next in analysis. And later, after a stressful day of watching those markets rise and fall or handling the latest crisis on the farm, it may be time to do a little exercise. But that doesn't mean a whole lot of running and jumping around, as you'll see in the country. The market's making big moves after USDA's surprising report numbers, especially quarterly grain stocks. Agday's Michelle Rook has more in Markets Now. Joining us with today's marketing report analysis, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing. And uh, we closed the day out higher, Dwayne, on uh, Thursday after the report. And let's talk about some of the most surprising numbers. And there was a lot of numbers to go through, but corn... Quarterly stocks down 833 million bushels from last year. And then that decrease in acreage, those were the big ones, weren't they? Yeah, they really were. You know, when it comes to the January report, there's about five reports. We all jumbled together to look at it. So it's a lot of information, but I'm always watching the quarterly stocks because that's your supply. And yeah, year over year, we're down 833 million bushels. Uh, that made me smile quite a bit in the office here because remember, Last year we were tight too. And then, you know, when we had some weather scares and that as we went through our growing season, the market was able to respond quite a bit higher because you don't have those old crop stocks to rely on. And kind of the same this year. I mean, I know export demand is horrible and the bears are going to bring that up and they're right, rightfully so to do that. And then right now, the way it looks to me, Michelle, it's probably a good thing our export demand has been horrible because we don't have a whole lot of corn <laughs> left over to be exporting and shipping out of the U.S. Yeah. And lower acres, obviously, because some of those yeah. drought areas. And so how much higher do you think corn needs to go here? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, a long time ago, I targeted a gap at 732. And I, I still think that's a pretty, pretty good target right now. And maybe that sounds a little high, but you know, a little bit of weather scare and acreage battle here comes spring. And I think we get there. You're right. I forgot harvested acres down 1.6 million. That puts the spread between planted and harvested at wider than we were in 2012. So the drought was real in the Western Corn Belt, as, as we well know now. Soybeans got back about $15 here, uh, lower quarterly stocks, ending stocks, new contract ties in soybean meal, lower South American production. Is that yep. going to be enough to keep us going? I think so, because one thing I kind of noticed early this morning was CONAB. Of course, uh, Brazil's form of USDA came out this morning with their report, and they actually lowered their soybean production just a little bit. Still a monster crop, a record crop. You know, South America year over year is going to be 20 million metric ton higher. So, I mean, that's there. But I think we've seen the biggest numbers out of Brazil that we're going to see. Um, and even though I know several in the trade today thought they'd go even a little bit higher. And U.S. they did inch it up a little bit. But, no, I think the soybean market's going to be well supported moving forward. Same deal. Uh, quarterly stocks there are down 130 million bushels year over year. And, you know, our ending stock is only around 210. So, 130 million bushels is a big deal in soybeans as well. 
All right, well, a pretty bullish report. Anyway, you slice it. Thanks so much for joining us, Dwayne Bussey with Bolt Marketing and more Ag Days coming up. For marketing advice, call Bolt Marketing, a futures and options brokerage firm. The U.S. saw natural disasters that cost an estimated $165 billion in damage last year. NOAA reporting the nation experienced 18 separate billion-dollar disasters in 2022, making it the third costiest disaster year since 1980. Now, you can see all of last year's billion-dollar disasters here on this map. Hurricane Ian, the most costly event at almost $113 billion. But the effects of drought in the West and Central U.S. also cost over a billion dollars. Officials say the weather disasters last year killed at least 474 people. As we talk about the drought there, and yes, it cost a billion dollars, any chance we're starting to see that kind of ease a little bit as we get more of these storms from the West Coast? Yeah, especially in California, Clinton, we've really seen a great reduction into the uh, at least the higher end categories of the drought map. And if you're on the West Coast and you're wondering when is this moisture going to stop? When can we get back to kind of our San Diego type of weather here? Well, it looks like once we head towards the end of this month, that's when we're going to start to see a pattern flip and we're going to start to see the West Coast becoming less active. And as we take a look at the end of the month uh, outlook here for the precipitation, again, we're going to kind of see that atmospheric river shutting off for the West Coast. And this is why we again continue with that atmospheric river in the jet stream. Throughout this upcoming weekend, that will allow another storm system to kind of work its way off of west. And meanwhile, for the central portions of the U.S., Great Lakes, Midwestern states, we're going to be watching as kind of a series of Colorado lows that will likely be developing here or across the southern and central Rockies. And that will bring additional precipitation chances to the eastern half of the U.S. But watch what happens as we head towards the next weekend by next Friday. We're going to be watching a potential ridge pattern building along the west coast, and that's going to help to hopefully uh, shut off uh, the moisture out across extreme uh, western portions here of the Pacific. And as we go forward into next weekend, we're likely to see it becoming a little bit more active up around the uh, New England uh, states here, uh, potentially even looking a little bit more like winter across the parts of the uh, New England coastline. What we're looking at here as far as our root zone map. Again, we have been inundated with a lot of moisture here off to the west coast over 20 trillion tons of water uh, has fallen over the course of the span of the past uh, two weeks here with more additional rain and snow coming this week and again we have dropped the extreme and exceptional categories uh, for the most part for much of uh, california only about a 0.37 percent remaining there into that the red category meanwhile again we continue to watch kind of western kansas uh, they really need uh, precipitation, and it looks like, again, we're still going to be lacking that across uh, parts, at least of the uh, central plains here over the course of the next 10 days. Notice how the moisture stays out west, and we'll be watching some systems approaching the Great Lakes and Midwestern states and New England coastlines here that will bring additional moisture chances to those areas. Temperatures for this afternoon, cold up north, the warmer weather down towards the south. Let's look around the country. Let's take a look a little closer to home with your Ag Day Select Cities. Caribou, Maine, fog, rain, snow, ice, 36 degrees. Going over to Erickson, partly sunny, high 36 degrees. And going over to Montana, mostly cloudy, 
High temperature, 52 degrees. Our electric tractors, the wave of the future. Well, the Biden administration getting a firsthand look at not only ag technology of today, but also what's already working in farmers' fields. That happened during the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas last week. We were there when U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm toured John Deere's booth at CES. Now she got a first-hand look at Deere's first-ever electric excavator on display at their booth, but we sat down for an exclusive interview with Deere's Chief Technology Officer, who told us there's no single solution that works for everyone when it comes to alternative energy sources. Hinman says electrification is one solution, but not the only one, a message he tried to reiterate to its Secretary Granholm during CES. I would say roughly 100 horsepower and under and relatively light duty cycles. Uh, lithium ion chemistry batteries can work. Like you can package enough energy into the, the tractor to make that work. As you get into higher power levels, the answer to that's no. I, you know, I, in the keynote yesterday, I talked about the 8R tractors. When I ran the numbers on, if you powered that with a, with a lithium-ion battery today, it's, it's uh, you know, twice the volume, twice the, the weight, twice the mass, and four times the cost. Like That just doesn't pencil, right? And so as you get into some of those higher horsepower applications, uh, renewable fuels from a, a carbon offset per perspective actually make more sense to us than uh, electrification. You can catch Tyne Morgan's full interview from CES with Deere's CTO during U.S. Farm Report this weekend. It's a new year with many new health goals. Up next, an old exercise tradition is getting a new look in Tennessee today in the country. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. We often think we have to move fast to exercise to maintain health, but a practice that dates back centuries may be a safe and effective way to combat a number of health issues. The University of Tennessee's Charles Denny has more on the benefits of slowing down to exercise. A full, enthusiastic class at the Brownsville Senior Center, and we've got an ancient art form for exercise. Our bodies are built for action, but sometimes gentle, focused movements are all that's needed to help us physically and mentally. That's what you get with Tai Chi. And Marie Goss says she's noticed some aches and pains have gone away since she started the practice. I said my body has a lot of parts that need moving. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this gets them moving? Yes. And so it's been helpful to you? Yes, it has. And it helps a lot. It even helps me because I have arthritis and back problems and I have to get up and walk and do different exercises and it helps a lot. Marie, Dixie, and their friends meet for Tai Chi once or twice a week at the center. And sometimes these ladies continue their practice outside the class. And it helps the, the, the seniors with uh, flexibility, muscle strength, and it also helps with stress reduction as well and help you to sleep better at night. All obviously good things, and Joan says a key just might be to master the movements and take it slow. It's not as easy as you think to move that slow because what I tell the class is that we're so accustomed to moving fast, 
we're going here, going there, ripping, running, and it's really hard to slow down. <laughs> the form of Tai Chi taught by extension agents has been shown to help people with diabetes and high blood pressure. It also improves balance, which might prevent some seniors from being injured in a fall. Tai Chi empowers and relaxes, delivering positive results at a comfortable pace. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day. Closed captioning on Ag Day is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you do the biggest jobs on earth.